Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A. Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling novelist, and I am ready to rumble! Sort of, kind of, more is a metaphor than someone actually punching me in the mouth! <laughs> Let's discuss the fight game! If you haven't guessed, this week we are taking a bit of a departure from our normal format to talk about UFC Fight Night 143 and MMA in general. I'm super excited about this. Just like with our series, The Galactic Football League, we taught many of my fellow nerds that football is less a battle of cavemen and more an incredibly complex dance of probability theory combined with rare combinations of genetics and also exceptional levels of human discipline. And now we're going to talk about the drama of the fight game. Yes, it is two people beating the living crap out of each other. I will not deny this. And yet it's also... A. Kovacs. It's about stories. Stories of dedication and perseverance. Stories of the human condition. Stories rife with human phobias of bitterness and envy, of jealousy and rivalry, of avarice and unmitigated hubris. Okay. I, uh, you know, that's a bit more than I thought you were going to say many, right many there. Many people had that reaction. Yes. Ooh. There are storylines in combat sports, and this is something that while many consider it barbarous, and I think you used to consider it that Mm -hmm. way, I consider it exactly the opposite. So channeling the innate violent tendencies of some humans, not Mm -hmm. all humans, but Mm -hmm. some of us have violent tendencies, I won't Mm -hmm. lie, channeling that into a productive force, turning fights from something other than, say, the law of the jungle into a ritualized combat Turning that destructive force into something with infinite positives for young men and young women to say that I'm a fan of the fight game and and mixed martial arts and martial arts in general, that is an understatement. I have been a fan all of my life. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, contrast that with me. And I didn't watch MMA until I was in my 30s at least. And and, and I'm also including like WWF and like I didn't watch any. None of that. Not even WWF. I mean, I have, I, you know, with my brother, I saw one or two, but I didn't follow. I wasn't a fan. Really, mm. pretty much anything until I was in my 30s, I'd, okay. I'd say at the very earliest. Okay. But now I'm a fan too. And that's part of the reason that we're actually putting together this story smack. You see, you watch some WWF back in the day. A with tiny your brother, bit. My but brother no, watched, but. No fights. I mean, you're, you ran, I know your your crew in high school was a bunch of boys, mostly boys in Mostly you, right? boys, yeah. yeah. Well, we a couple of girls and a, and a bunch and of boys. And nobody yeah. was into combat sports. No, you know. Not that much into combat sports, uh, but also, if I'm honest about it, it wasn't just that I wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was probably because I thought, and and you called this earlier, I suppose, brutal. I thought it was brutal and barbaric, mm-hmm. and I had the mindset of why would anyone willingly fight another human being? Why would anybody actually try and purposefully hurt another person? And you know. Uh, I like to look back on that young angsty mm. A and kind of pat her on the head a little bit. It's a little mortifying. See, I don't think it's I don't think it's angst. I think it's it's really difficult to understand something that is alien to us. Uh, you just didn't get it. Much like I still don't get dance, and I never got Mum and Chance. Do you remember Mum and Chance? <laughs> yeah, with the clay of. faces. Yeah, no, I shit freaked me out. I was watching him <laughs> like, what? This doesn't make. Why would anybody do this? It's freaky, but. The other part of it is you and I 
are very different. We've established this over our decade of working together. I don't know that you grew up with all of this energy just clawing at your guts uh, all the time, that the urge to constantly be doing something, be going at something. When we talked about this difference in our respective natures, that I'm endlessly competitive in everything, even with myself, even when it's ridiculous and means nothing. Oh, did I put three pens in the pen jar last week? I wonder oh, if I can put four pens in there now. How about five? What if we reconfigure it for six? Like Stuff like that is ridiculous. And I'm competitive about everything, even when it's a hindrance, while you, on the other hand, are more, I would say, more broad spectrum, efficient, looking at the whole task. And you're looking at how do we solve the problem at hand, right. not how do we destroy the enemy to solve the problem at hand. R- right. And most of the time for me, there's not there's not even an enemy there. I mean, you know, <laughs> and for you, the, the, and to contrast an that, yeah, to there's contrast always. that, for you, a lot of times, the enemy is you. Oh, almost all the time. I don't understand that at all. I don't either, but I mean, that's the is. difference between, we say this all the time, and I'm sure I've said this on this cast, but we say it all the time. One of the things that are, is, one of the contrasts that's really good for us is that you want it all, mm-hmm. all the time. You want it all, and I want enough. And, Having to fight for our stance gives us a very healthy, like when we're choosing charities, when we're choosing how big to go at Sigler Fest, when we're choosing whether or not we risk putting out Earthcore ourselves, things like that. Mm-hmm. We kind of have to fight it down to, I want enough. All I care about is making the rent, taking care of my pups, that sort of thing. And you literally want world domination. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so sort of fighting in the middle kind of helps us a lot, I think. That's exactly exactly what it is. And it's a problem. I admit it's a problem because even when I reach my goals, when I have, quote, enough, end quote, because that's the thing I've been fighting for is this particular level, that suddenly becomes not good enough. And I immediately want to move on to the next challenge. That's my fuel. That's how I've always operated. That's probably how I always will operate. Uh, that's part of why we are here as a company now, where we've gotten to this rarefied air where not a lot of people get to. Um, and the other part of that, of course, is you managing the processes and, and making sure that we don't go too far and blow all the money that we made, et cetera. And, but I think my competitive nature is why I've always been a fight fan. You watch these men and women and it's, it's not enough for them just to learn how to defend themselves. It's not enough to just learn how to fight or to have some kind of an outlet for that volcano that's bubbling inside them 24 right. seven. Cause when you lay hands on another person, even a nice controlled environment like Brazilian jujitsu or wrestling or boxing, uh, it, it does something to your primitive nature. When you are actually engaged in ritualistic violence, with someone else, it calms you the fuck down. So these people learn those things and get all the benefit of it, and yet they still want to be the best. So the goal isn't enough, the goal to fight amateur, then get one pro fight, then keep going. They fight to become champions of the world. And when you watch these big matches on TV, you are watching people like that in the culmination of their life's work, the moment where they find out if they are the best in the world or if they've come up short. Yeah, Honestly, I'm not sure I would have ever chosen to watch if not for meeting up and coming fighters while running an annual Halloween parade in San Diego Mm -hmm. back when I was an event planner. Um, But first, let's talk about the fight this past weekend and then I can lay bare my teenage angst. Uh, Okay, so you have some kind of a fight game story combined with a Halloween parade. It all comes together in the end. It does. does. Let's bring it back to where we we began, why we did this story smack in the first place. We were watching UFC Fight Night 143. Uh, the main event was a flyweight championship 
between 2008 Olympic gold medalist in freestyle wrestling and current champion at that weight, Henry Sahedu, and current two-time UFC bantamweight champion, TJ Dillashaw. The sneering, confident, cocky fighter who has talked smack and backed it up over and over again. So much drama here because they're both champions in the UFC, but in different weight classes. Dillashaw was the champ one weight class up from Henry. So there was a lot of excitement leading up to this event because there were so many new things. Henry's an Olympic gold medalist, an American hero, I might add. Thank you very much. And Dillashaw had to drop down a weight class to fight Henry. And didn't you wrestle at flyweight? So Henry's, I mean, pretty much the size you were in college, right? You, correct. Correct. The, their weight class is 125. I wrestle at 126. So basically the same thing. But uh, that's wrestling. And that's a completely <laughs> different sport than the UFC where people like to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> exactly. And that's a very fair point. But let's back up a bit in case there are folks who are listening now who don't watch MMA at all like I used to be. Fight nights aren't ever just the title fight you just mentioned. No, these are all, this was uh, on ESPN, ESPN Plus, which is a new network they're trying to get people to pay to watch online, which is fine. Most of the time, these big fights, the big UFC events are pay-per-views where you drop anywhere from 40 to 70 bucks to have exclusive rights to watch the fight game. And it's never about just the championship. There is always an undercard. And the undercard ranges from up-and-coming young fighters to fighters who have come back from retirement to, you know, memory matches like these two guys were great. Now they're both old. Now we're going to watch the shit out of each other <laughs> to co-headlining main events. Sometimes you can have two title events during the same night. Yeah. And why is it set up that way? Because so much spectator entertainment is single event only. There's there's championships yeah. or games mm -hmm. that you watch and that's it. Yeah, it's different. As you as you just pointed out, it's very different from, say, uh, football, where like this is the one game this Sunday and just this game. Um you, you have to look at these events as the gestalt. The, it's, it's all of it together. One of the reasons is the undercard gives newer fighters experience and exposure, which is what moves them up the ranks. Because it's not just about who can beat up who. Largely, that's who it's, what it's about. It's also about who's the storyline. Who are the great characters? Who are people going to shell out money to watch? This Again, this podcast is called Story Smack. We talk about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. And combat sports are pop culture. They're a huge part of it. I know my fellow nerds are out there like, no, it's not. It's barbaric. It's silly. No, these are, these are storylines that permeate our culture. From the rise and reign of Muhammad Ali to the culture-smashing presence of Mike Tyson, the explosion that was Ronda Rousey when she came up, the controversy that is Conor yeah, McGregor. Yeah, yeah, These people become household names and, and they dominate headlines. And sometimes they even make the jump into the dramatic arts. Sure. Like movies and TV or stage shows. Mike Tyson has a very successful stage show talking about his career. Those stories all started with people on the undercard. Getting on the undercard of a big fight is a chance for millions of people to see you, uh, start to learn about your story, and see how you came to be a fighter. So when you put on a big event like UFC 143, you're selling tickets to watch the title fight, but you're also building your brand for future fights. Mm -hmm. When those plucky young undercarders come up, come up the ranks, and they fight for it all. Yeah. When you think of it, lots of sports that we watch are either team-based mm -hmm. or can be about one standout athlete that doesn't need the rest of the field to improve. Okay. Like Floyd Landis was part of our Tour de France team. Mm -hmm. Tour de France? Tour de, I Tour de France. France. Yeah. Um, 
He was a cyclist. And Serena Williams is a good example. They excel by competing, certainly, and they get better by competing, certainly. Mm -hmm. But they can and do train without any competition. They don't reveal their hand a little bit early, so to speak. But it seems like MMA is more equitable in this regard. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I'm not sure I'd agree with Serena Williams because she ha- when she's competing, she'll compete against a lot of people one game at a time. And she- But I mean, she doesn't train with, like she doesn't, I mean, I guess you might be right about that. She does get exposure to, but she doesn't, like she trains in private. And all these guys and girls train, train in private, in private too. too. Yeah, but that's it's, a good It's point. one of the things like, what's interesting is a guy like Floyd Landis can go out and set the world record in the Tour de France if nobody else shows up. He still can do right, he right, can do right, that. Right, yeah. Serena has got to have an opponent and she like like McGregor everybody the better the opponent the better she becomes until she finds somebody who can beat her. Mm-hmm. Um and, and really the task is in the MMA it's it's you against the opponent. There is no there's no bike, there's no racket, there's no no football field, there's no hoops, there's nothing. It's really just you are putting your hands on another human being with the intention to do bodily harm to them. Yeah. And no matter what anybody says, altruistic or the honor of fighting or the sweet science, all that is horseshit. Once you step into the ring, or in my case, step onto a wrestling mat, I was absolutely there to impose my will on another person and dominate them. And that, and that's hard to approximate. True. That Yeah. And the entertainment of it for spectators does truly come from the human drama mm-hmm. in a way that's unique and maybe unique to hand-to-hand battle sports differently is. because it's still there. I mean, it's it, it, it was there in WWF, which is entertainment, not combat sports. Yes. But it's also there for Serena Williams. It's mm-hmm. also there for Venus. There's the stories that are told. Uh, oh, good Lord, there for Floyd Landis, who lost everything yeah, by trying did. to be a good guy, you know. Um, but that esoteric story that we follow is great. And that's throughout all entertainment. Well, you know, we all like a great, coming of age story, great, all that stuff. Yes. But that's no less true just because you're putting your hands on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not just about the fighter's reach, so to speak, or his weight or his height. It truly is that same exact story. It's about his spirit and his, or her tenacity mm-hmm. and her willingness to do it over and over and over again. And that's, it is. And that's, th- there's two things uh, I'd like to say about that. Number one is it's getting to watch people overcome adversity. It's, it's great to have, when Mike Tyson came up and he was 18 and 0 and became the youngest heavyweight champ in the world, that was really cool. It's also cool to see people go to feed. It's also cool to see people lose something, lose a fight, come back, get better, like Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. and then wind up dominating the sport after they had their asses handed to them. Mm-hmm. And they find out, oh, I thought it was Billy Badass. I just met Billy Badass. And now I got to go back to work. And, and that also parlays into the second thing we talk about, the storylines that we see again and again. And what you, I think what you're just talking about with the, the weight, the height, the reach, the age, all of these things you look on paper, fighter A should whoop fighter B's ass. Right. He's you know? got 20 pounds on him. He's got four inches more in his reach. He's 18 and 0 versus, you know, right. a, a losing a more losing record or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's about the heart and the spirit and the fight. And we see that over and over. We see it in fiction all the time. We see yes. it in documentaries, all that. Like it's, we are a species that responds to that human struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of that struggle is the variables. So oh, sure. if we're watching a soap opera, if we're watching Star Wars Attack of the Clones, we're watching Wonder Woman, we have a certain sense for the, the pace those stories are going to follow. And they all follow a pattern that's 
ridiculously similar to what we see in combat sports. This person's great. They're awesome. Oh, they just got their ass whooped. Oh, they go back to work. Training montage. Now they come back and <laughs> they beat a, a person. Hero. We need a hero. And they come back. And this happens over and over again. And what makes the fight game such a great dramatic story is you have no idea how it's going to end. Mm. There's Because there's too many variables. Variables like TJ Dillashaw dropping 10, found, 10 pounds to fight Henry. It doesn't sound like much, right? It's like, right. Ah, you talk about losing 10 pounds. I'll go on the California all broccoli diet and I'll poop that out in two days. No problem. When you start out weighing 135 pounds, with probably, probably 2% body fat, dropping 10 pounds is massive because there's no fat to lose. So this guy was already, he walks around day to day, probably like 150 pounds and 135 is just water loss what he makes to weigh in. He has to hit that day before fight. So let's assume he's 135. Think about this. All you people listening home, what is 7% of your body weight right now? Pause this, pull out a calculator, figure this out, pause it, and then come oh back. Oh, Lord. Or if you like me, don't do any of that and just wait because <laughs> I, I ain't finding out. And we're back. Now, for me, that's a loss of 17 pounds. I have to lose 17 pounds to emulate what Dillashaw did to come down to fight Henry. And that's, and TJ Dillashaw is already in world class shape. There aren't right. many people like him. It's not like me, like I could lose 17 pounds in a month if I had a trainer and like, a, you know, all mm -hmm. that, because I've got that weight to lose. He didn't have that weight to lose. So it's a ton of weight loss, which is interesting because coming into the fight, he was a heavy favorite. Mm -hmm. Vegas had him favored to win the fight. And everybody in the bar we watched it with, it was probably... 80%, 90% was we asked around. Oh, it's like, me. Dillashaw. I thought, I, I, yeah, I thought Dillashaw would win too. Yep. You did not, but I did. I, I did not because, because Henry's uh, an Olympic gold medalist. Is a, it's just an animal and he comes a heavy favorite, but the weight loss is the variable that no one could have analyzed because we hadn't seen him fight that way before. And we still don't know if that's the reason Henry won the fight or if Henry just landed a lucky shot. We won't know. Variables change the storyline always. Mm-hmm. It's unlike scripted entertainment, which is what you and I create here at Empty Set. Uh, this is completely unscripted, and it's great entertainment in that regard, because you never know what could happen. I mean, you were caught up in the unpredictability of it. You were entertained, were you not? Oh, absolutely. Very much so. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And But listening to you now, you're kind of surprised that you were entertained. You're surprised that you now like the fight game. Why mm-hmm. is that? <sighs> I have to be honest and say, I think that's a legacy of me growing up with what I can only really call sort of dismissiveness and disdain for fighting sports. So one of my nerd brethren has disdain for the combat sports. <laughs> I'm okay. shocked. I, okay. Shocked. Go on. I know I'm not alone in this, um, but hear me out. Okay. I grew up in New York, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, in a very urban environment. I was a super bookish kid with defective kidneys, so I didn't even get to go and play team sports. I was never allowed to be on a team. Mm -hmm. I was never allowed to be in gym class, in the normal gym class, that if there was any chance that I could get, you know, damaged or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So (sighs) I guess sports just weren't a thing in my life. My brother... My stepdad, they they were football fans. They were, you know, sports fans. My brother swam, things like that. But I didn't, and I couldn't connect sort of myself. So... Accordingly, since I was real bookish, most of my friends were real bookish too. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it's like you were living Harry Potter in a way, you know, <laughs> you're like, you can't go play in the gym. You're going to stay under the stairs for the rest of your life. Well, I mean, if you want to think that I'm sort of Hermione Granger, I am not going to dissuade you okay. from that. But, uh, Mostly what I'm saying, like most of my friends really were more on the bookish side, mm-hmm. too. We didn't really watch, honestly, didn't watch any of our high school sports unless we were there with the band or in my case, <sighs> the flag core. Flag. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. And, okay. you know, if you're a kid who only <laughs> the closest you get to any kind of contact sport at all, including like the parachute in gym class uh-huh. and Red Rover is watching from the sidelines in your flag corps uniform, you know, fighting seems barbaric. Uh, it just does. If I may interject the parachute game, I don't know if kids are allowed to do this anymore, but what you're talking about is when there's a random parachute in the gym and like you flip it up and go under it. Yeah, and then like when it you, comes down, yeah. uh, I smashed my nose in the parachute game, what? bled on the parachute. As far as I know, because I came back the next year, did the parachute game again, and my blood had permanently stained the parachute. That's gross. So uh, as far as I know, my blood is still in the parachute at Sheboygan High School. Okay, well, that is also barbaric, <laughs> sort of, or it would have been to my teenage mind, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I, okay, I know barbaric is a very big word there. And, and it's still kind of barbaric if you're, a, you know, literally, I'm not allowed, I'm not allowed to contact anyone in sports, okay. you know, and so it's a school, little bit bar- right. barbaric. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, and, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but you know, it's there's no shame in growing and learning. Mm-hmm. Also, why would so, why would you waste your smarts and your brains and do that? I don't think that's I don't think that's wrong to say because I consider myself a fairly smart smarter than the average bear. Mm-hmm. 
I think that my uh, genetic role of the dice has resulted in a big reason I had this career where I get to create things for other people because my brain works in a different way and I'm able, I'm fairly smart and hardworking and can do all of these things. Mm-hmm. I often think of all the shots I took in football and all the shots I took in wrestling mm-hmm. and all the blows to the head. And while I'm not even competing, I'm not talking like high level NCAA or NFL, I took a lot of shots to the dome and I often wonder like, has that knocked me back a few notches on the intelligence scale? Well, we'll that's never a know. different thing. You're talking as an actual competitor, right? Uh-huh. I, I, my teenage little self, was sort of turning down her nose at anything that wasn't brainy, right? The, right. the oh, okay. different thing. Okay. While yours is a, that's a huge concern. This was me being, I think, you know, young and sn- snooty and not knowing any better. And, and to be fair, it wasn't just fighters. It was also, you know, the boys, boys who did whatever sort of combat sports and the girls who were pageants. Beauty pageant yeah, well, or whatever, right? I share, and, and back in the day, I shared your sentiment about beauty pageant. But here's the thing. Every time I say this as an adult, I cringe these days. Mm-hmm. Because, at least for me, where I am today, here's what I know. I know that that might have been a naive sentiment, but it was also pretty shitty and privileged. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely this sheltered way of thinking. And I, I mean, I get the teenagers are sometimes shitty. And I'm proud that I, I'm happy that I can grow, but still. Well, they, they are. Teenagers can be shitty. Yeah. And I don't know if that's part of the process, but I was very prejudicial against beauty pageant contestants. Exactly. And I was very, I, I did, I still don't understand dance. Like, well, I, I don't get it. I, I might watch be able it to help you learn a little. Judgmental of those things. Right. But here I can help you maybe a little. Because what, right. what I didn't know when I was a teenager that I thankfully know now mm-hmm. are people who fight and people who enter beauty pageants. And uh, these people, the, the fighters in the pageant, the people who pageant, are really, truly the pride and joy of their families. They work super duper hard to okay. be good at their task, something that never occurred to me as a holier-than-thou teenager. Mm-hmm. When I was still an event planner here in San Diego, I ran that Halloween parade. Ah, here we go. And community parades, as you know, if you've ever attended any community parade, they are just full of Local, local pageant winners, local mm-hmm. business owners, local champions of any sort, the spelling bee champion, the MMA, like there's any sort of champion can enter the parade and show off their prize and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I met a lot of people in the community where I ran that Halloween parade for them. Mm-hmm. And in the seven or so years, I think that we ran that parade, I never once met a fighter who wasn't every single thing you don't think of when you think that you want to disparage, disparage or dismiss combat sports. So you were expecting dumb, we are arrogant expecting, jocks. Yeah, like broad-shouldered, arrogant, rude, uh-huh. so, you know, whatever. I literally, in seven years, I never met a fighter. Never, ever met a fighter like that. not surprised like that. at all. Um, every single champ, and to be fair, every single pageant winner, every single queen, everything. And, and single that's how prejudice. I'm like, oh, that's surprising to me when you're literally giving me a parallel of a world I live in and understand. Because once you've been punched in the mouth enough times, you develop some manners. There's just no way around it. So I automatically think, oh, the pageant winners are all conceited. But you're like, no, they're they're no, also they're, they're they're they are working within the rule set they've been given exactly the same way that okay. up and coming fighters are. Hmm. That every single champ, every single well all but one pageant winner Mm -hmm. were disciplined, were polite, were on time, which is something saying something when you have to stage for a parade at 4 a.m. Wow. Not one person, not one fighter wasn't willing to help haul stuff or move stuff or help their, like the people who were in line ahead or behind them. Mm -hmm. Not one person who wasn't happy and proud to be there. Not one 
pageant winner who often were sisters and brothers, right? The, the fighters were MMA, the, the, the MMA guys were brothers and the brothers to the pageant winners. So in we, the people I mentioned earlier who dominate the headlines, uh, Floyd Mayweather, Conor mm-hmm. McGregor, mm-hmm. who are always in the news, they're sort of arrogant and mouthy and conceited, but they're this, this upper level, the rank and file fighters that you met are just the opposite of that. And I would say that's actually true of every human discipline, right? Uh-huh. Like there are there are people at the top of the writing game who are kind of too busy to sign, you know. Oh, sure. You know, or they're actors or celebrities who are just too overdone by that. There are people in, but then there, for every actor who is like, yeah, I don't uh, sign things anymore because I don't want to or whatever, which I don't know who that would be. Mm-hmm. There are literally thousands of actors who will show up on time, who will right. never be a problem, who will always do their job, who will always be willing to try all that stuff. And these were the people that you met uh, working on these Yes, events. and this is the thing. The biggest thing about these up-and-coming fighters and these pageant winners, I'll say I think there was, in all that time, there was only one woman who showed up with just one family member, just her just, aunt. So most showed up with more. Most showed up with a ton, family, friends, neighbors, the local grocery store owner what? who was sponsoring the rental convertible for the little the little community parade, you know? Like, I, this is not the Macy's Day Parade. This is a little community parade. And mm-hmm. there are literally everybody around these people support and encourage them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one person who I know who didn't show up, it's because her brother had his first undercard fight in Las Vegas that very same day. (laughs) So she and her aunt were here in San Diego. Uh Everybody else had driven out earlier, but they didn't think it was right to drop out. You know, he didn't, he didn't qualify for the undercard until after she'd been accepted in the parade, this tiny community parade. And she didn't think it was right to drop out of the parade just because her brother got his first undercard fight. So they flew out afterwards. And I think when you think about it, we've talked about how hardworking these people are. Because I admit, if you're going to be in a beauty pageant, you probably put in a lot of work. If you're going to be a fighter, you put in a lot of work. Their families see this hard work. They see this endless toil and sacrifice, and their families are rallying around it, want to support it, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's why the family's so involved. But here's another thing. Uh, combat sports and pageantry are things that are available no matter what your income level, no matter what your school benefit, like the pros and cons of the school you go to are your economic class, all of that, especially combat sports. That's a great point. Are accessible for everybody. Right. And that's not true. Like the thing is I could be in the spelling bee. Like I was an archer. That was because that was an individual thing. And I was really good at it in high school. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody, I grew up in New York. Somebody grew up, I don't know, seven, eight miles away in Harlem or Spanish Harlem or something like that. Didn't have archery at all. Probably couldn't have done that. They wouldn't have had access to it. But you know what? Up and down Manhattan Island, there's a, what, four dozen, five dozen boxing rings? Mm-hmm. Anybody can do it. It's, you don't have to buy special, you have to buy a little equipment. There's you got to buy a mouth guard. There's definitely a cost, but it's not like you need a carbon fiber bike. Right. Which is $1,500. And you need, if you can buy the carbon fiber bike, you are probably going to beat someone who is the same athlete you are who can only afford a $300 bike and because the tech matters. Exactly. And in, in a lot of disciplines, you literally cannot play with a heavy framed bike. You just, mm. you just, they won't accept your registration you because win. you cannot compete. Yeah. Mm. You just can't wow. win. Yeah. And so I, that is a thing that was humbling for me as an adult when I thought like, okay, here's the thing. I think as a society, it's safe to say for the most part, we want good people 
as our citizenry, we want good people who work really hard, who are loved and respected in their community, mm-hmm. who stay disciplined, who have aspirational ideals and values that that grow to gain their aspirations. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what these combat sport kids did and and, and opened my mind to like, oh, okay, broaden your, you know, it's it's humbling, but it's not really about me. It's like, wow, really? Cause they've been doing this. They don't give a shit what I think mm-hmm. they've been doing this and their fa- and they are bringing their, their family and their community um, pride and pride of place. And, you know, it's just like everything else, except the difference is like in the same community where I did this Halloween parade, blink 182 grew up there. Okay. The whole world knows the taco shop where blink 182 decided they were going to be that band or mm-hmm. whatever, or at least they used to. And I'm not saying that they don't earn, that Blink-182 doesn't work hard and earn their keep. But I am saying that I was much more willing to agree that Blink-182 works hard and is value-adding and not the same MMA fighters that they went to high school with, you know? Mm, Interesting. And now I know, like, those people not only sacrifice in the moment because they're getting their mouth hit, (laughs) you know, or whatever. They are working just as hard for the goals that they want. And me saying one is good and one is bad is kind of BS. And, you know, their sisters who are pageant winners doing the same thing. They're not in gangs. They're not they're not out late. They're not getting pregnant because they'll get they can't join the pageants. Things <laughs> like that. Point. Like you can't be in the pageant if you're pregnant. These are things that matter and hold communities together. And if I, I, I am not saying that every fight is a good fight. And I'm not saying that encouraging every tendency in a in an aggressive combat sport fighter is a good idea mm-hmm. because some people really are too aggressive. Yes. That said, um, I think dismissing the whole because a percentage is flawed is It's always futile. a problem. It's always, it's always futile. Don't yeah. look at the statistical outliers. Uh, I think I've learned something here today. <laughs> you know what, though? I, and I learned something from you. Having, to, having you explain what's happening in the fight and the bigger storylines behind it also helped me open my eyes to the drama mm-hmm. of all of it. Right. I mean, when you think about it, you always have a favorite. And an underdog who shouldn't win. Right. So it's kind of like. Like, yes. I mean, it's kind yes. of like a lot of the books and movies exactly. that we take in. That is exactly it's right. It's the kid who overcomes all the odds to win the throne. Right. Or the treasure. Or, mm-hmm. you know, Wesley gets Buttercup. Or, the you know, the girl gets to the guy. Or the girl defeat, gets the girl. Or whatever. whoever, yeah. yes. Um, and it's, it's exactly, which is, there's the archetype storytelling format is the hero's quest. Yeah. And a real life I would hero's say quest. most of the people listening to this probably know what the hero's quest is. If you don't look it up, you can look up these wonderful charts that I think it's, um, Harry Potter, Star Wars, the, oh God, what was it? Keanu Reeves movie where he suddenly learns judo, the matrix, uh, the matrix. and a few other ones. <laughs> Wait, side note. <laughs> <laughs> Your take, your one sentence take of the Matrix yeah. is that one where he learns judo. <laughs> I think I know jujitsu or whatever the fuck he learns. I don't know. That's your one line take. It's, hey, if you like Keanu Reeves, there's a movie it, where uh, he learns it's a judo. Note. It's a goddamn preposterous movie. <laughs> I know I'm in the fucking minority here. That's a fucking preposterous movie, but it's the Hero's Quest. Yes. So if you don't know the Hero's Quest, look it up. Watch through uh, all of these things. And um, 
Look at the comparison charts in particular that hit the main beats of the movies, and you'll be a little sad if you don't know this once you learn it. But this is what the fight game is like. It's a hero's quest, except it's in real life. People go from uh, becoming uh, the, the new fighter, the kid with big dreams, that the one old wizard in the gym is like, you could be someone. You could be the chosen one. Kid, you have it. You have the secret thing. And the family's like, you can never be a fighter. Why don't you go work in the meat factory with your old man and shovel chicken gizzards <laughs> into chicken colons? That's what we've done for three generations. Into chicken what? Colons. It's called... <laughs> It's called chicken sausage. I advise you to stay away from it. Uh, and then and then they start to fight and they have the training montage and then they beat boss after boss after boss until he or she wins the game, gets the belt and heal. And it's the same thing as he or she defeating the empire. Same thing as he or she becoming the royalty. They were, you know, destined to be when they were taken away from the royal family and sent down the river. Mm-hmm. The fight game is fucking Star Wars. It's the same story, but it's in real life with fists instead of lightsabers. And that is a hard thing for a lot of my fellow nerds to understand. Yeah, and not everybody wins. You know, the other difference is it's reality, not fiction. Yes. And that's hard to take too sometimes. It fucks up storylines. And ESPN and the UFC have seen this many times. Like, this is our champ putting all this money into this guy. Oh, he just got his ass kicked. Well, speaking of, this past fight, this fight we're talking about, UFC 143, Mm. Dillashaw hugely favored it in Vegas. Hugely, hugely favored it. Loses by knockout in 32 32 seconds. seconds. It goes deeper. Henry's weight class down at 125. If he lost that fight, they made no secret about it. They were going to eliminate the entire weight class. They're just going to get rid of it because it wasn't drawing enough. And like everybody at that weight would go up to 135. And now Henry won and it completely changes the storyline. And there are people at UFC right now who are like, fuck, we had all of these plans mapped out and it screwed it all up. I told you not to send it off to Kinko's. I told you. (laughs) Told you not to send the banner order to Vista. I told you Sarah had to proof it before you sent it. Didn't I tell you that? I said wait, but you, you couldn't wait. And this, not everyone winning is what makes this special. What makes it fun to watch. It, it, this is the real world. Not everybody gets a goddamn trophy. That's not how it works. The fight game is full of promising young contenders who find out they aren't what they were built up to be. Uh, in each storyline, each weight class, it's like Highlander. There can only be one. Ooh, Highlander yeah. is a good pair. Maybe we should story smack Highlander. Uh, I would love to do that as long as we're not going to focus on the effects because they do not hold up well at no. all. They don't. No, they definitely don't. Yes. Scott, anything else to add about the fight game? The people still listening after hearing us talk about being oh, shitty, shitty teenagers <laughs> and completely misunderstanding oh, trust culture. trust me. I was also a shitty young adult, oh, but we'll go, go into that in another version. I, and I'm still petty, bitter, and jealous. I was going to say I'm probably shitty in some ways now. Think about this to all of my smart, nerdy brethren. You probably have respect for anybody who gets a PhD in a field of study. Maybe not in a PhD field of study in religion or something more esoteric like that you don't get, but... Like a hard science, right? Like it, there's automatic credibility. You got a PhD in chemistry. You got a PhD in physics. Mm-hmm. You're like, your first reaction is like, oh shit, that's a smart motherfucker right there. Gee, I don't even, you know, yep. they may be awkward. So you're like, that's a smart motherfucker. You know that because you know how many years of hard work it took to, to get through that math, et cetera. Tireless work, but you also can't get one if you're not smart. I mean, this is just, this is the law, the, the law of land, the law of the jungle. Mm-hmm. If you're born without the mental horsepower, you're probably not going to get a PhD because it's a combination of genetics and the work ethic yeah, that lets you persevere to yeah, get that goal. For sure. What does that have to do with these fights? I'm, yes. And thank you for bringing that. I'm bringing that. I'm getting that. They're closely related. 
achieving a high level of success in a fight game like Dillashaw, like Henry, requires years and years of hard work and dedication. People start when they're really young. It takes them time to learn the skill set, time to advance. It's so much hard work and sacrifice. It's like being an Olympic gymnast. Those people are animals, animals of dedication. Is that why you like Henry so much? I, I do. It's one of the reasons. And another reason, take this, I have two rules in life. Do you know what they are? Uh, tell me. Never underestimate an Olympic gold medal wrestler and never buy a used car from a man named Cheese. These things are not going to work out for you. So having bought a used car from a man named Cheese, I can guarantee you this is not a, not a good pursuit. Having wrestled in college at a lower level, I can tell you these, these people, these Olympic athletes, they're not human. The pain and sacrifice they put in is combined with ridiculous genetic gifts. You don't get to be Henry unless you're born. You win the lotto of genetics, then you have to double down on that with all that crazy work. So kudos, uh, kudos to Henry in this win. And uh, A. Kovacs? <laughs> yes. I Please don't buy a used car from a man named Cheese. And I very much look forward to our next big night out watching the fights. Uh, likewise, FDO, as do I. We hope you enjoyed episode 44 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. Can I say one more thing? Can I say, can I say one more sure. thing? Sure. <laughs> I just want to say. At least you know our end credits are live now. <laughs> one more thing. Just, I, need, I need a minute. Uh, if you guys are still listening to this, if you have disdain for the fight game, what you need to do is watch. It's on ESPN now. Watch one of these big fight nights. Get together the significant other of your family because they're so good at being storytellers. The UFC and ESPN put together an amazing show. They show you backstory of all the characters. They show you them training. They have the sit down face to face. We get to see them as human beings exhibiting mm-hmm. real emotion. And there's, yes, there's a lot of shitty shit talking and it sucks. But a lot of those people you watch, you get to see all the hard work they put in and you become just like reading about Luke you get sucked in. You get sucked into the storyline. And once you're sucked into the storyline, just like when I write my books, it's the same goal. I'm going to create these characters and do a bunch of subtle little things to make you care. And once you care, I own you. And once I own you in the story, once they own you with these fighters, you will be, you will see it in a different level. And one of the things that I think is uh, revealing for me about that idea, because I think you're right. I think there is a story told around every fight, Mm -hmm. but because there's not a writer writing the ending, at the moment of truth, you know, it becomes anybody's game, mm-hmm. really. At, within limits, of course. You know, like I'm never going to beat Tom Brady at, at throwing a football right. ever in my right. life. Even if I never do anything after this podcast except pro- practice throwing a football. Correct. I'm never going to get there. That said, within reason, there's um, there's unexpectedness and there's humanity. And I don't think that's any different than somebody, you know, proposing at the top of the Eiffel Tower with everybody's friends and family. And then all of a sudden her saying, no, thanks. You know, oh, it's the same you had kind to go, of thing. Why did she have to do that? Right. I don't even know who these people are. And now <laughs> they I'm don't already, really exist. I'm literally, like, that was a seven second story. And I'm already like, oh, why did she say no? What's wrong with him? What's going on? Who are these people? We're going to have to do that on a different oh. episode of Stories, Max, sadly. Uh, in case you are still listening and you are not yet subscribed, we do release an unabridged episode of a serialized novel of Scott's every week. You can get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for links. Right now we are serializing my novel, Earthcore. We are well over halfway done. 
plenty of time for you to catch up before the end. And right now, characters are dropping like flies. It's ba- it's it's gr- it's brutal in there. So we hope you subscribe so you can hear Scott's books and more Story Smack goodness in the future. So until, until the next <laughs> episode, we will talk to you all real soon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.